Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast, Season 6. Oh, yeah. My name is Joey Weaver. He's Mike McDaniel. Mike, welcome. Season 6. You're a married man. How's it feel? I've joined the club, Joey. You have joined the club. Officially. Let me think. I'm trying to think of who all we know. Dan Rubin, decidedly yep. married. And other guests, I'm, I'm sure plenty of them are. I don't know who. Ethan Moore. For sure. Ethan Moore, for sure. Yep, he's married. Got kid. Kelly Quinlan, married. Definitely married. Uh, Cam, not married. Not married. Uh, yeah, anyways, I don't know. Plenty of married people. Yeah, I'm sure there's yeah. plenty of married people that listen to this show. Um, so I let me be the first to welcome you. Welcome to the club. Uh, married men, it is a it is a good place to be in life. I agree. Um, you, you looked good at your wedding. Uh, if, Thank if, you. If I may, your wife looked better. She was beautiful. She did look better. I agree. <laughs> Thousand percent look better. Yeah. I, not that high a bar to clear, but hey, it's, it's fine. <laughs> um, uh, wedding was a lot of fun. We had a great time. My wife and I were there. You got to meet Maggie. That was awesome. That was a long time coming too. Yeah, it was. I uh, yeah, I got to meet Caitlin. Um, yeah, we had a great time. It was it was great to see you and visit again with a lot of the guys from the bachelor party. Shout out to all of them. Um, we had a lot of fun. Hopefully you had fun on your wedding weekend. I did. It was, I mean, everything was perfect, right? Like entire weekend, start to finish. Weather was great. Stayed warm and sunny, which is what we needed. Mm -hmm. Um, rehearsal dinner was great on Saturday. It was a good birthday. Saturday was my birthday. That was a good day. Got to hang out with everybody, which is cool. And then, yeah, Sunday was perfect. I got a little anxious there, like middle of the day. I was like, "Oh my god, longest day of my life!" Like, <laughs> can we get to can we get to five o'clock? You know, um, but yeah, it was awesome. And then you get to the wedding, and then it's all done in like a snap of your fingers. It's incredible how fast time flies when you're in the wedding, when you are like the bride and groom. You know, yeah, it just flies by. That that's one of the wildest things that I, I remember was. I mean, you spend so much time in the lead up to it planning yep. this and planning that and deciding on what tablecloths you want and you know what's going to be in the bar and and you know what food menu do you want i mean just every little thing you start picking and then like within about 4 hours like it's it's all started and ended and that's it done and it's just done. i mean it, it it just yeah it goes in a blink of an eye you know but it's crazy it's it's one of those things. It was, it was a lot of fun. We we really enjoyed it, and we're glad we were able to be there. And congratulations to you and and to the new bride. Um, I I do think it's it's funny to think back on, or you know, kind of funny to think of the the coming full circle moment. Um, I, we've mentioned this before, but the very first episode of this podcast that we recorded was about a week after I got married. Yep. 
And here we are starting season six. It's been like three weeks since you got married because you almost moved entirely to Hawaii. And then you I was there a while. Back. I was there a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You the had a credit card bill hit Joey and I'm glad I'm back. It in hit different. Virginia. Yeah. It, <laughs> it, yeah, that's, that's a nice way to put it. Yes. It hit different. Those Hawaii bills do hit different. Um, oh my God. I've been once myself and the wife and I spent an inordinate amount of that trip discussing what it would take to come back yearly. And it was, it was a lot. So a lot of money. Yes. That's yes. right. No doubt about it. Anyway, great place though. Yeah. Well, again, welcome back. Welcome to the club. Um, as mentioned, this kicks off season six of this podcast. Um, we are officially getting into preseason preview mode, um, previewing the 2021 season. Hopefully the theme of this season is, quote, a return to normalcy. Thank God. Hopefully. Uh, yeah. Last year and, and the lead up to it and the, and the whole season itself, I mean, was a, a mess and a half. And that's putting it lightly. Uh, but it seems like by all by all means, it seems like this season is going to be a normal football, you know, college football season as as normal as college football ever is. And so I don't know about you, Mike, but I'm pretty excited to preview it and start something new here. It's a totally normal sport. I'm sure it'll be fine. Totally normal. Yeah, completely. Um, and so, Mike, to, to, to kick off the, the preview coverage here, we had a great suggestion uh, from Mr. Chris Grondon on Twitter, uh, one of our loyal listeners. He sent us a list of rankings of coaches that were put out by 24-7 Sports, which is part of like the CBS network. Uh, and this was a list of ACC coaches that was put out by Chip Patterson, um, who is a, uh, the host of the Cover Three podcast, which I, I thoroughly enjoy. And, and yes. I think he does a good job and he's very, uh, very entertaining. And he's also a, a big golf guy. If you're you know looking for takes on golf tournaments and that kind of thing, you can go look for him there. But um, he sent out a list of the top coach, you know, the basically ranking all 14 coaches in the ACC. And I think fair to say you and I probably disagree with him a little bit on, on what these rankings look like. I do. Good. So, <laughs> so, so what we're going to do is we're going to read off his rankings a little bit, and then we're going to go through and, and, and do our own. How, how does that sound? Do you, you, I think we disagree on some of these too, by the way. We do. Now tell the people how we're framing our rankings. Yeah, so this is important. Um, th anytime you get into like this coach is better than that coach, or we're going to rank these coaches on you know whatever, like it's it's important to state the criteria that you're ranking them against. Like it's super easy, and I told you yep. this beforehand. It's super easy to say, well, Dabo Swinney is a better coach than Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern because Dabo Swinney has won all these national titles. But if you like, if you include context in, in all this and realize that what Pat Fitzgerald has done at, at Northwestern is just bonkers, like you, you gotta you gotta clarify the criteria here, right? Um, is it you know is it the guy that you want up there drawing up plays on a whiteboard at halftime, um, you know, making those X's and O's adjustments? Is it the guy that you want as your CEO, you know, setting the culture, you know, all that? And so, Mike, I think the way that we want to address this. And, and I'm certain we're going to offend a couple of fan bases here with this with this criteria, but <laughs> we've never done that before. <laughs> yeah, that, this is the first time. So buckle your seatbelts. Um, Nobody's safe. The way that we want to do this is if if right now, if one of these jobs were to open and we're going to say a job that has a relatively average level of resources, you know, no, 
no major upsides, no major downsides. And so the programs we're going to use for an example are something like a Pittsburgh or maybe an NC State. The bar, baby. They're the bar. If we were to take all these coaches today and drop them into one of those jobs, like who would be the most successful over the next several years? Is that that clear? Fair enough. I'm there. Yeah, I'm there. Um, which is going to make the discussion really interesting with a couple of our coaches, Joey. It will. It will. Yeah. And that's, there's a couple of, again, key criteria here is again, just an average number of resources. And so again, we're using Pittsburgh NC state as like, you know, example programs. It's, it's not wake forest. It's not Duke. It's not Clemson. It's not Florida state. You know, it's kind of a, a, you know, a middle of the road job within the conference, how successful would these coaches be over, call it the next five or six years, if you dropped them in to coach one of those programs today? And so, Mike, Chip Patterson, his number one overall coach on the list was, of course, Dabo Swinney. How about you? Shocking. Um, Dabo would be my coach. Yeah. I disagree. <clears throat> give, me oh. Mac, give me Mac Brown. Interesting. Why? I'm going to take Mac Brown. The reason I'm going to take Mac Brown is that we have seen Mac Brown do this at multiple schools in multiple mm -hmm. eras. And so okay. his level of you know relationship building and recruiting and all of that has proven itself at North Carolina. It proved itself at Texas where he won a national title. He played for another one. And now in look what he's done in two years at North Carolina in a different era. That tells me that he's a guy, even as, after spending all that time in, in broadcasting and how, you know, it seems like he's, you know, he's too old for this kind of thing. And yet he's still making it work. And so, uh, you know, of all these guys, which one would I trust to just drop into a program and and make the best salad out of you know chicken? You know what? I would start with Mac Brown. That, that's my that's my that's my call. And it may be it sounds like a hot take, but I that's my thought. I like your argument, though. I do like your argument. Now, I don't agree with it. Yeah. I do like it. I like it. I think it's fair. He's done it at multiple stops, multiple eras, two different schools. Like, we've seen him win a championship at Texas. We've seen him win at North Carolina, which is not necessarily the easiest place to go win football games year in and year out. Um, but, I mean, outside of Nick Saban, Dabo's the best coach in college football right and it's it seems like every year we're like flipping a coin and it's like all right which team's better clemson or alabama okay dabo's the best coach in football this year oh saban's the best coach in football this year and when you're in that discussion enough times which is what dabo is in now annually you got to put them on in my opinion but yeah. i do like your argument about mac and i get it and i have mac at two I was going to say, Chip has Mac at two. I have Dabo at two. So I, I, Fair, don't, yeah. I don't have Dabo at nine or something like that. I, I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't think he's terrible. Uh, I just, I would take Mac over Dabo in this situation. But my other thought on Dabo, again, trying to split these hairs a little bit, was that if you look in those first maybe three, four years of Dabo's tenure at Clemson, it, it took a while. It did. Like this was not like an immediate transformation of Clemson. You know, they won the Atlantic in his first full season as a coach. They went six and seven the next year. And then that third year was the year that they went like 10 and four, but they gave up 70 to West Virginia in the orange bowl. You know, they, I think it was his first four years. They had 
no top 20 finishes in the country. It, it really was there – were, there were two inflection points in his tenure there. Number one was getting Brent Venables as defensive coordinator after that Orange Bowl performance. And number two was bringing in Deshaun Watson, who was a, a generational quarterback that really put him over the top and, and I think fully weaponized what they became there around 2015, 2016. Yeah, um, because their, their 2011 team – I saw him in the ACC championship game against Virginia Tech. I was a freshman in college and Clemson beat Tech twice that year. And in the ACC championship game, it was the DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins show mm-hmm. with Taj Boyd, a quarterback, Andre Ellington, who is one of the most underappreciated running backs in school history at Clemson because of how stacked that offense was. That was a really good team, yep. but they weren't an elite team, Joey. Right. The elite teams didn't show up until Deshaun Watson did. Yeah. And that was the beginning. You know, you started to get those athletes at receiver and running back and all that. Um, you know, you went from CJ Spiller and then later Andre Ellington. And then you're getting, you know, a little bit further down the line and you start getting into the ETN era. And all of a sudden Clemson's got a million running backs that are just really good football players and a bunch of outstanding receivers. But the guy who held it all together as Clemson's kind of gone on this run as being one of the elite programs in college football was Sean Watson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and again, Brent Venables, the other one uh, that we just literally, yeah. as we found out yeah. like an hour before we started recording, that he got another extension and he'll be there for another four or five years getting paid two and a half million a year as a coordinator, which is, is nuts. And that's that's the other thing I'll bring up is that Dabo, like give him full credit. He has he has set a program culture. You know, he has hired the right assistants in most cases. Um, he has, he has done all the things. He is the, the original kind of prototypical CEO head coach, I would say in college football. Yes. I I think he's done that more than anybody else. You look at Saban, you look at a lot of these other coaches, like James Franklin is maybe the only other one that I would look at. I agree that I would really not trust to get up on a whiteboard and start, start drawing plays. Agree. Yeah, I agree. And we might be totally wrong about that too, but in my head, that's kind of, who I jumped to and Saban is Saban, Mac Brown. These guys are cut more from the old school football mold of, you know, I can coach any position on the roster because that's what I did before I was a head coach at the college level or the professional level in Saban's right. case. Cause he's done both. Um, not the case for Dabo. He went from position coach to head coach and figured it out as he went along. Yeah. Dabo was fine. the wide receivers coach and re- recruiting coordinator and became the head coach. Yeah, which is an unbelievable jump. And not only became the head coach, but became the best coach they've ever had and one of the best coaches in college football history already. <laughs> and he's, you know, a decade into his tenure. The, the one other thing I wanted to to mention with the Venables thing, it was really silly. I was, this is my fault because I just paid too much attention to Twitter, but I was looking at some of the replies under, it was Grace Rayner from The Athletic who tweeted out, you know, he got an extension. Mm-hmm. I was looking at some of the replies. They were like, oh, are you sure that, you know, he should have gotten an extension after, you know, the Ohio State beat down the semifinal? <laughs> and I'm thinking in my head, like, um, didn't Clemson just win the Natty, like, two years back? Like, what what am I missing here? Okay. They, they've lost, what, five games in the last three years? It's but there was that silly. one game, Mike. They did lose that one game. I think he might have been fired. Like, Unbelievable. 
they, they lose the Ohio State game in the semifinal this past year. They lose in the semifinal with Kelly Bryant at quarterback. Other than that, they have been excellent. What are we doing here? What we're saying, Mike, is that Twitter was a mistake. That's um, correct. Number three, Maybe Chip I was pa- too. <laughs> number three, Chip Patterson has Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, who'd you have, Mike? That's really high for Bronco, <laughs> in my opinion. But you might think it's a little high. I have Dave Clawson at three. I do not think it's high. I think it's appropriate. I have Dave Clawson at three. Yeah, Dave Clawson's three. Um, they've just been really consistent. And that Wake Forest, we talked about this a million times, man. Wake Forest is such a hard job for so many different reasons. Um, it is an academic school through and through. They have had historically a pretty decent bat, not, not recently, but historically have had a pretty decent basketball program. Think about to, you know, Tim Duncan and Chris Paul, and it's been a basketball school historically, uh, but it's really hard to win football games. there consistently. Dave Clawson has found a way to do it. They're consistently competing for bowl games. They're consistently winning bowl games. The fact that he hasn't gotten more significant opportunities elsewhere at better programs is shocking to me. And I get, you know, people might be concerned they won't be able to recruit at the level he needs to at a bigger program. He'd hire a staff to figure it out. Um, That's something that Fuente, uh, we'll get into Fuente later. That's something that Fuente didn't do Mm -hmm. too well. He lost, you know, a couple of quality assistants and the Bud Foster thing didn't work out. But, you know, Clawson has done that. He's hired assistants that he knows can recruit to Wake Forest. And I have no doubt he would do that at a bigger school. And he is a very good developmental head coach. And yeah. he knows what works at Wake Forest. And he finds the guys that fit his system. And, you know, to win seven or eight games at Wake Forest or to be in that conversation now, pretty much every year he's been there, he just continues to surprise us with what he's able to do as a coach. He's one of the best coaches in the ACC, period. Yeah. I, I was gonna say, I mean, you want to talk about guys who find a way to get all the juice out of the orange? Absolutely. I mean, Clawson finds a way to get all the juice out of the orange, and then finds ways to put more juice into the orange to get out of it. I mean, like he, he like his ability to to make something out of seemingly nothing. Yep. Is is unbelievable, and and one of the things I I was thinking of too is is among all the things that you said, not to mention. At best, he's currently coaching the third best program in his state. Yeah. Right? Yep. Like, like there is no world where you're going to be a, a, a like a more desirable program, a more desirable Agreed. job. You're going to have better resources, whatever, than UNC Agreed. and NC State. Like, yeah. you are always going to be at least the third fiddle program in that state, you know, not to mention until, I don't know, Charlotte or East Carolina or some of these others. You know, it's possible they could jump you at times. Like, I mean, I mean, we started this conversation saying, okay, the way that we're ranking these guys, like our criteria is that we're plugging them into a middle of the road program in the ACC. Mm-hmm. NC State or Pittsburgh would be a significant step up from a resource standpoint than yep. Wake Forest is, and the fact that we have him at number three tells you all that you need to know. He's a head say, coach at Wake Forest. Look at look at the results he's gotten at Wake Forest compared to the results at yep. NC State and Pittsburgh the last few years. Absolutely. I mean, they're pretty comparable, and Wake Forest is a decidedly harder job than either of those. So, no doubt about it. So, yeah, credit to Dave Clawson. Uh, number four, Chip has Dave. Uh, I've got Bronco. I've got Bronco at number four. Uh, just seeing Cam- what he's done at Virginia, and again, high floor. It seems like it's a relatively low ceiling, but the ceiling 
feels like a little bit more of a Virginia issue than a Bronco issue. Um, maybe it's probably not, you know, mutually exclusive, but, um, I, I just think what he's done with that Virginia program and, and resurrecting it from what it had been under Mike London and Al Groh. And I forget who all else has been there in recent years. Um, I, it, it's, it's impressive to me, not to mention the run of success that he had at BYU beforehand, as much as we felt like that was a weird hire when it was made and we weren't sure it was going to fit on the East coast and all that. I was know, wrong. And all that, yeah, yeah, I was, I was, I was wrong. Well, I, I, I don't, I'm never going to say I was wrong for being skeptical, but whatever concerns no, no, I no. had were, you know, have been, have been resolved at this point. No, I think we were justified in being skeptical. I, I think that was fine, just given the where he was coming from. He really only knew one place, mm-hmm. and it's a very difficult transition. I thought going from a place that's so we talked about Georgia tech being academically narrow. Like how many times have we had that conversation on this podcast? A million, right? Several Georgia tech being academically narrow. There's a certain type of athlete that BYU simply cannot recruit. Right. You, you guys can read between the lines. They can only get a certain athlete into the school because non caffeinated ones. Correct. Yes. <laughs> you got to be Mormon. That's right. Anyway, Anyway, um, at least at least willing to live the lifestyle that is prescribed by the Mormon church. Correct. Not a lot of people are willing to do that. I certainly would not be. Um, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I like Diet Coke too much. Yes, among other things. That's what, um, that's what I'm drinking here. Yes. <laughs> it's an ASMR that's, podcast. That's what's in, yeah, that's what, that's what's in that cup. <laughs> um, I have <laughs> – this might be a little high, Joey. In fact, I know it's a little high. I have Norvell at four. Um, had success at Memphis. Inherited an absolute mess at Florida State. They only won three games last year. It was a COVID year. It was weird. They won some big games, though. And I think the potential is there. Like the Willie Taggart hire ended up being a dumpster fire, total disaster, um, because they weren't winning enough on the field and off the field. From everything Bud Elliott said, he's the foremost authority on Florida State football. From everything Bud Elliott said, he was not, he being Taggart, was not political enough with the boosters, which is a major part of the job at Florida State because of how demanding they are. Um, Norvell is good at that. And he's been good at Memphis, and he won some games last year that nobody expected him to win in year one at Florida State. Uh, I think the ceiling's high there. I'm probably a little bit higher on Norvell than I should be this early, so I have him at four. One of the things that's underrated about him, and I, it, this is higher than I have Norvell rated, obviously, but uh, it's not that much higher. It's, you know, I've, I've got him here in a minute, but I think one of the underrated things about him that we have to consider with basically any of these guys, and again, it's it's a total picture thing, right? It is kind of how well would they run the program over the next five years. Norvell has a fantastic track record of hiring assistants. Um, he actually at Memphis, there were a number of assistants that he had poached from his staff in the, like yep. the final two or so years that he was there Yep. that he turned around, got to Florida state and said, Hey, I have the budget to hire you back. Yeah. Uh, but it basically it said you know, there were power five teams that wanted his assistance from Memphis. Um, and so that that's, I think that's a really good sign for him. Agree. And the impetus of the argument with me, with Norvell is that, 
if I think if I'm confident enough that he's going to get it done at Florida State, then he'll absolutely get it done at Pittsburgh or NC State. Right. Because Pittsburgh and NC State on the football field recently, they have not had nearly the success that Memphis has had on the football field. That I, I was going to say. I mean, I, say what been, we will. He's been good. Say what we will about you know Doran or Narduzzi or that type. He took Memphis to a Cotton Bowl a couple of years ago. Like, yeah. They, they've had some pretty high-end success at Memphis. You know, he picked up from what Justin Fuente was doing there before he left for Virginia Tech and not only continued it, but seemed to improve on it a little bit, you know, or, sure. or build on it. That's that's a, a really sure. good sign, I think. Yeah, there was no uh, no tread lost on those tires when Fuente left. Norvell picked it right up and continued to carry that program forward. Exactly, exactly. Number five, Chip had David Cutcliffe. Um, that is, this is, a, this might be an example of having different criteria, uh-huh. just generally, what does our track record say? Yeah. He's, he's gotta be pretty high up there. I would say, um, for me and in, in our criteria that we're talking about, he is much lower than that for me. Uh, yeah, me Mike, too. who you have at number five? I have Mendenhall. Yeah. And for all the reasons that you mentioned, um, yep. again, comes from Provo to Charlottesville we're making jokes about him living in a trailer for the first like two months he's there. Cause he like can't find a place to live and his family's still in Utah. And I'm like, how the hell he doesn't know up from down in Charlottesville. Were, and yet were we making jokes he, about living in the trailer or telling stories about living in the trailer? I can't, it's been, it's been a while. <laughs> it's, it's been a while, Joey. Um, but yeah, I mean, Mendenhall player development wise, He's been very good in Charlottesville. They land Bryce Perkins as a junior college transfer. He's been good. Brennan Armstrong, year one, pretty good when he wasn't hurt. Um, defensively, they've had some guys drafted. They've had some solid defenses. Uh, his recruiting has been pretty average, but it was average at BYU, and he doesn't necessarily have to recruit his brains out at UVA. He just needs to get enough of his guys in there to be competitive in the Coastal, and mm-hmm. he's done that, and UVA has been a hell of a lot better under Mendenhall than they were under um, under Mike London. Sorry, brain fart. Um, but again, like UVA, I think, is one of those programs now that is in that Pittsburgh NC state conversation, which wasn't the case five years ago. And I think that's a testament to Mendenhall, the coach. And if he can get it done at Virginia, of course he can get it done at a middle of the road school like Pitt or NC state. Cause UVA is a middle of the road school right now in the ACC. And that's a big jump from where they were at. I was going to say 10, 10 years ago. I mean, Virginia was a free square on the schedule, kind of in the same a way joke. that Duke was right. A joke. They were horrible. Yeah, they they were terrible. Um, but I mean, you just look at the full track record of Mendenhall. I mean, he's been a head coach going back to BYU, what six, eleven, sixteen years. He's made fourteen bowl games in those sixteen years, and he would have probably made one last year if they hadn't declined, you know, and opted out of a bowl game in a weird COVID year, right? So, right. in fifteen normal years as a head coach, he made fourteen bowl games. The only one that they didn't make was his very first year at Virginia. Yep. Like, and, and especially at a program like UVA to just be consistently churning out six and seven win seasons. I mean, that is, that is a high floor kind of guy. And that, that, you know, that, that takes a lot of credit. Mike, my number five, and here's where we're going to start really disagreeing on some things. Give me Scott Satterfield. Hmm. I'm going to take Scott Satterfield. And again, he's a guy with a long track record 
And I realize that there is some concern after what Louisville was last year. Uh-huh. They, I mean, they were decidedly pretty bad, at least from a record standpoint. But the thing with that was, I mean, there were, we'll talk about this in, in team previews. There was a lot that went into that that was like turnover margin and kind of some luck-based things in, yes, in one-score games. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you're a couple possessions here or there away from being, you know, seven and four instead of four and seven. And at that point, what are we saying about him? Um, you know, so a guy that had as much success as he did for, you know, several years at Appalachian State, um, the types of, of programs that they were able to go in and compete with at a place that had the resources of Appalachian State. Like, I, I think he is a legitimately good coach. He, he stepped in and took that just god-awful Bobby Petrino team and won eight games out the gate with him. I just – this is a guy that I, I is maybe a little bit of a light version of Dave Clawson, but I just feel I could step into most any program and get a hell of a lot out of it. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be some superstar recruiter, but I think the level of talent that they can get, he will know what to do with it, and he'll be good at coaching it up and, and getting what they want out of it. That's all fair. I'm sour on Satterfield right now. <laughs> he'll come I up mean, a, little, a little bit later for you? He'll come up a little bit later. You made some fair points, but I'm a little, a little sour on Satterfield. It's been a weird offseason. It, it sure has. Yeah, and there's... And- uh, plenty you know, of off-field weirdness to go there that's part of the equation yeah i mean yeah if we're talking total picture i mean you got to consider that among other things yeah i mean i pick and choose when it matters <laughs> it's my rankings after all <laughs> <laughs> he's at mike mcdaniel sos on twitter oh uh, god yes. so just uh let let him know your thoughts there number yep. six chip has pat narduzzi that's too high for me that's way too high. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Come on, man. six. I, I realize the consistency there, but it, yeah, we'll get into that. Yeah. Uh, who do you have number six? I I told you something different, but I need to change this so that I can make a joke in about five minutes. All right. Um, number six for me is Manny Diaz. Ooh, all right. And again, might be a little high, but again, this is a coaching job that you know Mark Rick gave up a few years ago. Um, by the way, Mark Richt has Parkinson's, which sucks. Yeah. Um, so thoughts and prayers to him. That's terrible. Dude, um, as, as a guy that was the head coach for such a long time of Georgia and Miami, and I, like, I hated his teams, and I loved nothing more than to cheer against him and to make fun of him. Dude, that sucks. Like, I don't, I don't wish that on guy. him or anybody. Yeah. Best wishes um, to him and his family. Yeah. He's a good guy too. Like totally. all this ACC network stuff is, you know, I like, I, I like him. Yep, um, yep. back to Manny Diaz, he takes over that job, like in the middle of the off season, just at a very weird time. And he gets gear King in the door, gets Rhett Lashley's his offensive coordinator. Um, knew we had to make some changes to his staff. He did that. Um, he knows how to adapt Joey. Now, have we seen the results on the field yet? No, maybe not. But it was a weird year with COVID, right? Mm-hmm. And he knew a couple of years back he had to make some changes. Defense was struggling, made a change. Needed Rhett Lashley in the door after year one, you know, made that change. He knows that 
he's got to adapt if he wants to survive there at Miami. He's got to have guys who know how to recruit. He's got to have guys who know how to coach up that talent on the field, which has been Miami's bigger issue in recent years. The talent has never been a problem. They always get good talent in at Miami. It's coaching that talent up and getting them to play cohesively. That's been the issue. And Manny Diaz is the first coach I've seen in a long time at Miami who has not only embraced the challenge of recruiting, but has also embraced the challenge of creating the right guys around him from a coaching staff standpoint to make the talent work. If it's not working, he pivots quickly. Now, does that always work? Maybe not, but he's not afraid to make a change when he needs to, and he knows he's going to have to adapt as the coach there. Mm -hmm. And if he could do it at Miami and pull it off at Miami, which hey, jury is still out a little bit, but I think the program, in my opinion anyway, is much more stable. It started with Mark Richt. I think it's continued to Mandy Diaz. It's much more stable, in my opinion, than it was under Randy Shannon, Al Golden. Like I think they're consistently decent, at the very least, with upside to be good to very good with their roster. Now, yeah. he has to prove it on the field. This is a big year. I think Miami is going to be pretty good. Uh, famous last words, but uh, I, I have uh, as I have much as any six. on this podcast. I mean, hey man, you know I'm historically pretty low on on Miami, and I love to just crack jokes. I think they're going to be pretty good, um, but everybody does in July. That's not that. That's kind of part of the problem. I yeah, I've got him a little bit lower. All all valid points. Um, I think the biggest thing to me is going to be there. There is a little bit of an incomplete grade on, on yes. a lot of his stuff. I mean, this, he's only had two years as a head coach, right? Um, so, there, so there's that, but definitely some good points. I mean, he he has had some good success here so far. Um, my number six is Mike Norvell. A lot of the same reasons that we had mentioned. You know, I, I I think pretty highly of him. He had a pretty good track record at Memphis. I think you saw some development from Florida State throughout last season. Um, and so for now projecting forward, you know, four or five years, I, I think he could do a pretty good job, you know, with, with Florida state or with anybody else. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think the reason you saw Florida state get better through the year was that Florida state is an advantageous job, you know, like, like he wasn't recruiting those players or, or, you know, he, he just stepped in and his staff, he was able to put together a staff and they were able to coach guys up and, and bad saw, roster, yeah. a bad roster. Yeah, you saw gains, you know, through the year. So, um, so I think pretty highly of Mike Norvell. Um, I, I've got him number six. Uh, number seven, Mike. Uh, Ship has Manny Diaz. We both have Dave Doran. <laughs> which because there's NC State's the bar, baby. Say there's decided irony here. <laughs> NC State is the bar, and you knew I had to make that change. Um, we went over. I actually didn't know. So before we hit record, I just told I told Joey my list, and Joey did not share with me his list. Yeah, you're finding we this were out going, in real time. Yeah, we're, I'm finding Joey's list out in real time. So that's actually kind of hysterical that we both put Doran at seven, and I said I had to change it. Um, I originally <laughs> had Doran six, DS seven. It's too funny not to have Doran at seven. They mm -hmm. are the bar. <laughs> NC State is the bar. They could just as easily be four and eight as they could be eight and four. They are a total enigma every year. It's perfect. Yeah, I, it's. I mean, like he's fine. He's, he's fine. fine. This is so. This is the thing. I, you know me. 
And I like him more than you do. Yeah, if you've listened to me for any amount of time on this podcast, you know that I've got a little bit of a history with Dave Doran. And by that, I, I like mean, him more than you do. Let's I've, put it yeah, that way. I've talked some mess about him, but a lot of that... The thing is, it's it's not that, that he or that program have ever been like objectively bad. My issue has always been like they should be better. You know, they're they're good but never great kind of thing. And even even at times where it felt like they should have been great, they're not. And so that's that's kind of my issue. But that is actually kind of perfectly reflected here in the ranking, right? Is that they're yep. they're good, they're fine, they're they're functional, they're they're it's pretty rare that they're like embarrassing or anything like that. I agree. But you know, at the same time, I don't know what the upside is there. And it feels like there there's more in the tank that could be used, but it's like, they don't know where to find it or something. I, I don't know. Like, I agree. Um, now Pittsburgh fans are going to be screaming at us, wondering why we don't have Pittsburgh's coach, Pat Narduzzi. At least I don't have Pat Narduzzi anywhere near number seven in my rankings. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because I have a lot more confidence in Dave Doran coaching NC state than I do Pat Narduzzi coaching Pittsburgh right now. Well, I mean, yeah. Like what, <laughs> think about like, what is the, what is the high point? I mean, they've both been there for several years. What's the high point for Dave Doran versus the high point for Pat Narduzzi? Yeah. Well, Doran's taken him to a couple of pretty decent bowl games. And Pittsburgh has been six and six pretty much the entire time. I, I think Pat Narduzzi's high point has literally been like an eight and five season when, when they had Matt Canada and Nate Peterman and name that quadri and you know that that whole saga going on. P- like PFT commenter calling Nathan Peterman wiener dick dude is <laughs> <laughs> an all timer. We need to get that sound clip. Um, greatest nickname in sports yeah like at least at least dave doran has i mean again he put together one of the more talented rosters in college football there for a couple of years and they played in some pretty big games i don't know relative to, to pittsburgh so i i, I mean nc state a, a better job than pittsburgh for sure in terms of resources and and location but at the same time i i, I don't think it's that much more of, of, of a great spot that if you flip them, if you flip them to the opposite jobs, like I, I don't think that Narduzzi would benefit that much that all of a sudden they're winning nine games a year or something like that. Right. And, and I know, um, you know, folks that disagree with this, I think can flip it right back and be like, okay, well, NC state had a team with Glennon and Bradley Chubb and like a very good roster. What was that eight twenty? 18 17 and 18 17 and 18 yeah and nc state had a pretty solid roster and they went to south bend in like week six and remember nc state was ranked and notre dame was ranked and everybody's like oh this could be the chance for nc state to really kind of show who they are and they looked good for like one quarter and then notre dame blew them out of the stadium and that was pretty much 14 or something like that yeah and and that was pretty much the end of the NC State to the playoff discussion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yep. They ended up having a fine season, went whatever it was, nine or 10 and four, or whatever it was. Um, yep. And, and they were fine. But that was the end of the is NC State like Sugar Bowl good? Nope. Yeah. Yep. Not quite. Not quite. 
Uh, Chip has Dave Doran at number eight. Uh, Mike, I have Jeff Halfley at number eight. As do I. As yeah. do I. You're smart. You're a smart guy, Joey. I, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> Jeff Halfley, a guy that we were both, I think, extremely, at least I, for one, was extremely skeptical about coming into last year. Um, felt like an odd hire. He had been Ohio State's defensive coordinator for one year after like 15 years in the NFL in various roles. And it was just like, how does this make sense? And yet, I mean, Boston College was only six and five, but I think the, the, the quality in play change that we saw was pretty drastic, you know, from previous years. Uh, and, and, and they played a, cu- a couple of those five losses. I mean, they, they played probably better teams really close, you know, really showed some potential there. So I, I was fairly impressed with what we saw from Jeff Halfley in year one. Yeah. And they had some weird scheduling quirks too, like getting Virginia tech early in the year. Um, if they got Virginia tech in like November, Boston college probably wins that game by like two touchdowns. Instead, they got blown out of the stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a totally different result. If you separate it by like six weeks, uh, I was a little bit higher on the Halfley higher than you were. But I was also wondering if they could have done a little bit better. Now, Adazio, you and I were both like, when is it going to end? I mean, that's kind of the same discussion we're going to have with a few of these coaches here in a second. We bring up the uh, hot seat conversation, which we'll bring up at the end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I liked what Halfley did. The offense looked much better. Credit Phil Dracovic for coming in and being as impactful as a lot of people thought he might be at Notre Dame. Um, ends up being really good at Boston College. Really and sucks for Notre Dame that he's not there anymore. Yeah, because now they uh, don't even get me started. I'm just going to bring it up as many times as I possibly can. Sorry. Anyways, please continue. Fucking Jack. Sorry. Get that. Grab that. Uh, Jack <laughs> Cohn this fall. Um, God. Where were we? Anyways. Sorry. Um, yeah, it would have been nice. You're right. <laughs> Man. Yeah, get get the bleeper out. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I like what Halfley did in year one, and I think having him in eight is pretty fair. He's recruited well too, which I give him credit for because Boston College, like we've talked about before, is not an easy job to recruit to, and he's done a pretty nice job on the trail. Um, he's got his hand in the cookie jar for some four-star recruits that Virginia Tech and some other ACC schools are trying to nab out of the DMV area, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, for those who are – uncultured um but halfley's been able to get guys into chestnut hill high-end three-star recruits guys that adazio wasn't consistently getting and Mm -hmm. if he continues to do that and kind of builds on the moderate success he had in year one i I think boston college will be in a much better spot moving forward it it really helps having a dynamic guy like Dracovic behind center i mean it does having the ability to just ask your quarterback to somewhat recklessly sling it downfield while also knowing that they're not going to put the ball in danger or, or, you know, miss targets badly. Like, right. That, that, that goes a long way, but again, Halfley and his staff brought in Dracovic, you know, off the transfer market and all that stuff. So credit to them for that. And Um, from what we've seen too, Joey, like Boston college, I mean, from what we've seen from Dracovic, Dracovic and, what Halfley's done with him and his coaching staff and recruiting and all that, like Boston college is in my opinion, a tougher job than Pittsburgh or NC state. Yeah. So if Halfley can continue to build on the success, I don't see why he couldn't have gotten that done at 
at an NC State or out of Pittsburgh. No, I agree with that. Yeah, no, the the job that he's working right now at Boston College is a tougher job than the one that we're talking about here in a hypothetical yes. situation. I agree. Um, Chip has Halfley at number nine. Uh, who did you have number nine, Mike? Scott Satterfield. Okay. Scott Satterfield. Um, so several spots lower than I had him. Yes. Uh, but I, I think if we redo the rankings a year from now and Louisville goes like eight and four, nine and three this year, I think Satterfield's probably like fourth on my list. <laughs> He's probably shoots, shoots way back up. I just, the thing about it to me, Joey, is that he is a, he is a good coach. He was good at app and he was good in year one at Louisville. He exceeded expectations. Year two was a little bit weird. It was a COVID year, but it was kind of a disaster. And then off the field was an absolute nightmare. I mean, him saying that, you know, he might want to interview for other jobs and him getting questioned about that, not handling it very well in the media. And there are some things that he said from an optic standpoint that I didn't love coming out of year two. Like he got caught with his pants down. Yes. Not literally though. This isn't a Joe Paterno, you know, uh, (laughs) careful, careful. uh, (laughs) We're trying to have sponsors here, Mike. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, not, not, not what kind of sponsors, not literally, but like, Literally being caught with his pants down somewhere was is only marginally worse than right. Like like he, I mean, it was a total mess. And and I mean, he got the fan base mad at him, and he got the the locker room questioning him. Like you want to talk about throwing something completely off the rails with like one or two press conferences. Honeymoon over. Yeah, no, he goal. found he found the 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 you know you ever play shoots and ladders. He found, yes, it's been a while. Though. He found the ladder to or the chute to, you know, ruin the honeymoon kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Satterfield and I have a lot in common in that regard. The honeymoon is over. I was gonna say, did you did you talk about any of your ex girlfriends or anything on the honeymoon? God, that would have no. ended the honeymoon real quick. Yeah, it would have ended a lot of things real quick. <laughs> anyways. Uh, anyways. <laughs> ACC after dark. Yeah. No, I mean that that made him and sorry, I feel like I kind of interrupted you there. Did you have anything else on No, probably not. I say so. I mean, he, he did make a total mess of it off the field, and there's a chance that we're sitting here doing this, you know, previewing season eleven of the ACC and saying, "Hey, you remember that time that Scott Satterfield almost torpedoed the entire Louisville job, and now he's, you know, good won ten games there for you know three straight years or whatever." You know, like it, it's it's not permanently destroyed at this point. <laughs> it's very possible, and and again, we'll get into that shortly, but. Um, it's like mid-stage Fuente, yeah. At Tech, like, yeah. Fuente did the Baylor thing, like in, mm-hmm. after year four, and Satterfield did the whole song and dance with a couple different jobs after year two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, huh? Yeah, we'll get there. Um, I've got Manny Diaz at number nine, and, yeah. and the reason being, there Lower was than Halfley, huh? Yeah, I've got him below Halfley. I hmm. do. Um, yeah. I just so. The you know he t- he took over year one and yeah he technically left Temple to be the Miami head coach but I mean he was at Temple for two weeks like he he had been at Miami before that um, I was on my honeymoon longer and he was at Temple <laughs> wow um, expensive honeymoon. seriously but anyways yeah. um, he 
so th- th- I can't get out of my my mind that he he goes to Miami and one of his first hires his offensive co- he he gets rid of the entire offensive staff that Mark Richt yep. had there that we had agreed was a problem. So good move to get rid of that staff. What I can't get out of my mind is that he hires Dan Enos. And this is largely Bad. seen and accepted as like a coup because Dan Enos was the offensive coordinator at Alabama who I believe they had just won a national title. And then Dan Enos basically leaves in the middle of the night to where Saban, there's stories about Saban cursing this and that, like, where the hell is Dan? And oh, they had like, meetings. Well, he didn't show up. Yeah. Well, guess what? Miami got Dan Enos. Like now, now we're cooking with gas here in Miami and they went six and seven and it was a disaster. And they fired him after the first year. Offense sucked. How, how often, Mike, do you hear of a coach taking over as a first year head coach Comes in, brings in a coordinator, and then after one year, fires them. Like that doesn't not happen. often. No, need to be done though. It, it wasn't the wrong move to fire him. It was just there's there's clearly like some sort of lack of foresight or lack of understanding of what he was bringing in. You know, so there's there's just this this inexperience, I would say, and yeah, like it's. It's great that he hired Rhett Lashley, but to some degree, it kind of feels like that fell in his lap a little bit. It, sure. And it also feels like Rhett Lashley is probably going to get hired for a head coaching job if, if things go as well this year as they went last year. Well, probably. We, were, we weren't expecting Rhett Lashley to be back this year, remember? We thought he would be gone for a head coaching job. Yeah. And he stuck around. That ended up being a huge deal. Exactly. Um, and then subsequently, Dear King stuck around after his injury. He's like, I'm exercising my extra year, as he should. Um, this might be it, related. Well, here's the thing, right? Like, the Danny Enos thing caught everybody by surprise in terms of how poorly it worked out. When mm-hmm. they hired him, I thought that was a good hire. He's coming off the Saban staff. He's an offensive mind. Like, Alabama's had very good offenses, obviously, because they've had a number of very good players there. Um He's an assistant on that staff. He goes to Miami to be an offensive coordinator. Yeah, that sounds fine. And everybody seemed to be fine with that, even in the Miami fan base, even for a guy like Cam, who follows the program closely. He said, Danny knows hire should be good. We were like six weeks into the season. He goes, he's got to be fired. Mm-hmm. It was that quick. Um, Cam was saying it. I mean, he pivoted that quickly. Yeah. So it had to be done. And that's what I appreciate about Diaz. Like I said earlier, like his ability to pivot when he needs to and be able to pull that trigger. Not a lot of guys would just hire somebody away, tell tell somebody, "Hey, man, come here, move your family here," and then fire him like nine months later. You yeah. did it because you had to. That takes guts. It's not an easy thing to do. Making making the move is a good thing. And if he if he hadn't made the move, and this is a little bit of a spoiler alert, if he hadn't made the move, he'd be much lower on my list. So. Hmm. But again, he's inexperienced. There's game management stuff that's been weird. Um, there's various aspects of coaching that haven't been all that great. By the way, he's also, uh, I think, I believe both of the co-defensive coordinators from last year, if I'm not mistaken, have been, well, play calling duties were removed. And then, you know, Blake Baker left and is now at LSU. Uh, I don't believe Ephraim Banda is with the program anymore. The long and short of it is, I mean, he's been there for two years. He's had a coordinator changeover every year so far. I just, I don't know. I, there's there's some sketchiness there to me that, I mean, did he just get lucky to get Derek King? 
And that's the difference between going nine and three or whatever it was last year versus, you know, all of a sudden being 12 and 10 in two years and, you know, whatever. Maybe. So, but he um, had to recruit him. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm still skeptical about Manny Diaz. I think there's clearly there's worse coaches in the ACCs according to my rankings, but I think there's much better ones. Fair enough. Chip has Mike Norvell at number 10. We both agree that's probably way too low. Um, you know, track record, all that. Think he should be much higher. Uh, number ten for you, Mike. Godcliffe. 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 Um, because he's the best coach remaining that I haven't named yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have enough confidence in him to go and take over a middle of the road ACC program tomorrow and do what he did at Duke. It's been a number of years since Duke has been good. A number of years. Yeah. Like five years. Yeah. It's been a while, and I just. I think the game's passed him by a little bit. Hate to say it because he's a legend. He's done an unbelievable job at Duke. Don't want to take anything away. I just don't think he could go somewhere right now and be like immediate impact, like do what he did at Duke. It's not that easy. And what he was able to pull off is remarkable. I don't think he could do it twice. I was going to say, like, if if the exercise were drop, drop this coach in to any given program on March 1st, you know, after signing day, but before spring camp starts, and who would do the best? Cuckliffe is probably still top five in the ACC. Yep. I mean, yep. agree. ability to coach quarterbacks and offense is, is really, really up there. But you know, some, some of the looking ahead kind of thing is, is concerning to me for sure. Yeah. That's, that's what I'd be concerned about. So I have them lower. Yep. Uh, number 10, Mike, I, I don't love saying this, but I have Jeff Collins. Um, hmm. Hmm. I've got him a little bit higher than a couple of these guys. And really the reason, and I, I kind of hate, uh, let me, let me give you this. The reason is I feel like his ability, again, kind of the, the program building uh, nature and the ability to emphasize recruiting and some of his um, uh, 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 innovation is innovation within the recruiting space, I think is m- valuable and I think he could get more out of a program than a couple of these guys I have lower. Uh, I have them ranked. So I have Jeff Collins there. The problem that I have trying to justify this is that, like, I, I, I want to use data. I want to say, well, Collins did this at Temple while Pat Narduzzi did this at Pittsburgh and use data to like justify this discussion. And yet I, I kind of can't because Collins has only been a head coach for four years and, and your first year of recruiting at temple, is not really your thing. Your first year of recruiting at Georgia tech, it's not really your thing. So at best he's had like two of his own recruiting classes at best, um, which trying to compare one at temple and one at Georgia tech, you know, in one year versus Pittsburgh. I, I don't know. But what I've seen, you know, and and in fairness, Pittsburgh is not recruiting poorly. Um, but I think that Collins would do a better job of that. And at that point, I I believe that he would run a better program with similar to uh, you know increased talent. So I guess give me Jeff Collins. Okay. <laughs> Again, not not a great track record here, and I'm not I'm not highly optimistic at this point. I need to see something from him this year. 
But if I'm kind of trying to project a little bit or, or guess a little bit, that's where I'm going to ride with Collins. I like Collins. You know I like Collins. Mm-hmm. Got to see it, though. Yeah. And it's, again, a lot of elements to it. Total offensive tear down, rebuild. They ran like six different types of offenses in year one. Last year was better. Jameer Gibbs was really good. Jeff Sims was mostly good. Made freshman mistakes, but who doesn't at quarterback? Um, I'll tell you, man. Let's see it. Now, now the schedule's brutal, but there are some data points I think we can take away from this upcoming season to really tell us if this is going to work out. Yeah. Beyond wins and losses, in my opinion. Yeah. They don't need to make a bowl game this year for me to feel a lot better about the future. No, I totally agree with that. No, they do not need to make a bowl game, but they need to be more competitive, which they started to be last year. So take another step forward with that this year. I, I need to see on-field signs of competence. Yep. Competence. Yeah, yep. that, that's what I need. Uh, number 11, Mike. Chip has Scott Satterfield. We, we disagreed on Scott Satterfield. We can agree that's too low. Too low. That's, too low. It's a weird ranking. Who do you have, number that's, 11? That's a very weird ranking. Fuente. Justin Fuente. I have Fuente ahead of um, three other coaches, which if you've been following along, we'll get into here shortly. But um, one that I know you guys know I haven't named yet is Pat Narduzzi. Mm-hmm. And if you're wondering why I haven't named Pat Narduzzi ahead of Justin Fuente, it's because Fuente owns Narduzzi. He had one really weird loss to him a few years back. Other than that, he owns Pat Narduzzi. So that's why. Interesting. I hadn't I hadn't thought about that because I have Pat Narduzzi at number eleven. Um, yeah. Again, kind of kind of low, and really, it's we're getting into this territory with Narduzzi. I, like they've, I don't know that they've. I think there was maybe one year that he's been there. Let me look this up. I think there's maybe one year that he's been there at Pittsburgh. They've missed a bowl game. Um, yeah, it's 2017. They went five and seven, missed a bowl game. Last yep. year they were six and five and missed a bowl game. But again, weird years. That's I, I won't really count very that. Weird. weird year. But like normal the, sport. They've been really consistent. But he's very much in that like Adazio Boston College territory of just like, I mean, so far he's eight and five, eight and five, five and seven, seven and seven, eight and five, six and five, like. Yeah, there, there's no peaks, there's no valleys. It's, it's like a straight line, you know. And my seven issue and with, seven, seven and seven, ACC championship coastal game, coastal champs, yeah, coastal um, champs, yeah. And, and that's not even like somebody was ineligible. That's just like the whole division was a mess, um, trash, dumpster fire, ridiculous. So I, my, my issue here and kind of ranking him where I do is, you're at this point you're not really building something. You're yeah, not say. you're you're not you know on a downward trend, but you're not building anything either. So like just like what are we doing? This is this is like you're like three years into a relationship, and you're not really planning on getting married, but it's just like kind of comfortable and it's it's fine. But like it's not like going anywhere. Imagine uh, after well, <laughs> careful, <imagine>. careful. <laughs> I'm leaving that alone. Your wife's in the next room, Mike. <laughs> Imagine after year one, moving on, <laughs> imagine after year one of Justin Fuente and Dino Babers that we'd be talking about them this low mm-hmm. in our rankings. Yeah. Yeah. Year That's one a little for, off topic, but yeah. 
bad. Year one for Fuente, year t- I think it was two, maybe three for Babers. Um, yeah, no, I. Again, it's it's kind of what what are you looking yeah, for out right. of this? It I was it, you're right. It was it was year two with Babers when they went crazy with Donji. <sighs> On some level, is is Pat Narduzzi really all that different from Bronco Mendenhall? Like high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. Maybe I'm wrong for now. for putting Bronco at four and Narduzzi at eleven. There's more of an upward trajectory with Mendenhall than Narduzzi. At the respective right? programs, yeah. I mean, again, Narduzzi's been there. Narduzzi's been there longer, slightly longer. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we're not too. I mean, UVA went to the Orange Bowl <laughs> in 2019. Yeah. Um, I with can't Perkins. remember. I, I can't remember. I mean. The, the the single best win or the best moment of Narduzzi's tenure at Pittsburgh was beating Clemson in 2016. In a weird game. I Again, can't take anything away from that weird game. That was five years ago. I don't I can't yeah. even think of what the peak since then would have been. And it was a regular season game. Was it making it to the ACC championship game a couple of years ago? It's seven and five and getting no. dumped on by Clemson. Like no, no, I don't even know. No, and I mean UVA in in twenty nineteen they were in the ACC championship game. Clemson essentially did to UVA what West Virginia did to Clemson in the Orange Bowl. <laughs> um, UVA fans were so funny. They were like, "Ah, what feel? You know, we feel okay about this game against Clemson." Like, yeah, I feel okay about it, too. I got Clemson minus 17 or whatever it was. Um, At Mike McDaniel, SOS on Twitter, UVA. Clemson, yeah, Clemson. I mean, you know me. I was pretty fair with UVA that year. I thought they were good. But yeah. Clemson, just a different program. Yep. yep. Um, but, yeah, I mean, UVA is, you know, one full season, one full COVID season removed from an Orange Bowl appearance. Mm-hmm. So... And they played they played okay in the Orange Bowl. By the way, they played what Florida? I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was like a one score game. I think I lost a bet on that game. I did too. We <laughs> both did. I think. <laughs> Come to think of it, um, UVA played well. I thought. And yeah, Pittsburgh hasn't sniffed that kind of success, and that's what separates Mendenhall from Narduzzi is literally the quarterback position. Which, ironically, Pittsburgh's had a few that have been pretty decent under Narduzzi that haven't been able to put him over the top. And Bryce Perkins was just nasty. And, I mean, I don't – Narduzzi's low on my list, man. Yep. I, he's hot seat, hot seat territory, in my opinion. Yep. You've got Narduzzi at 12. I've got Cutcliffe at 12. Again, it's it's projecting towards the future. Um, we'll, we'll talk about this in a minute, but, I mean, mm-hmm. we're, we're on borrowed time with Cutcliffe. And yeah, at this point, it, it really feels like if he makes it past this year – it's a total gamble on somehow, some way, getting the commitment of one Arch Manning. No shot. Like that's that's it. Is no shot. Otherwise, it's it's time for all involved to move on. Um, it's yeah. It the game is passing by. That's it. Um, Mike, who you got number thirteen? Collins. That's who Chip has number thirteen. Yeah, just prove it to me. That's it. You said you like him though. I do, and that's it's. Do you like him as a person? Like you like his interviews, or, or I like or what I've seen. Coach, I like what I've seen of him as a coach. 
in his first two years, but you got to start winning games. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be this year, but you got to start winning games. I have to start seeing wins stack up before I believe in what he's totally fully believe in what he's doing. But I think he's making the step necessary coming out of the triple option era under Paul Johnson and he's recruiting well. So maybe I should have him a little bit higher, but I just haven't. I got to see some wins. That's yeah. my thing. Got to see some wins. It, they're, they're in an interesting spot. Like there has been a definite uptick in recruiting for sure. But that, you know, they've the first couple classes, it's like they've been able to sell, we'll call hype or vision, but you're getting to a point where you need to show proof of concept. You know, you need to, results. Yeah. You need to prove that this vision that I'm selling, you can actually make it happen because then at some point people can start saying, well, you're saying you're going to be this, you're going to be that like, well, it's you're three, four years in, you're not that yet. Like how long is it going to take? Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. It, it is. Time. Yeah. It's, it's time. And at some point you got to have results, right? Yeah. Stop selling vision. You got to have results. Um, just got to see it now. Ironically, it's just a brutal schedule. So I don't know how they're going to get to the point where you can like tangibly say, yeah, we have results. But if Georgia tech wins like six games, are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. That would be a minor miracle with the schedule they have. Oh, I, I pointed out the other day. I mean, if you really like close your eyes and squint and, and start pumping sunshine up your butt, like you could find like seven or eight wins or something on the schedule. And at that point, Jameer Gibbs is probably winning the Heisman. Agree. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, and, and again, I would I would venture that at this point, they've probably got the talent that if you know what you're doing with it, you could probably pull off an upset somewhere on the schedule. Oh, they'll they'll beat Virginia Tech. Is that, we're we're assuming they're going to go like four and eight, five and seven, but yeah, you know, there's a there's a win or two to be had there if uh, if you can get everybody hot at the right spot at, in a home yeah. game or something like that. Well, that that's a prime home game to do it. I know it's not going to be like a huge win because Virginia Tech's dog water, but um, Virginia Tech will probably be favored by a little bit, maybe like four or five. Well, I mean, I don't know. It's a little bit later in the year. Virginia Tech could already be firing Fuente at that point. But uh, yeah, but Virginia Tech probably like around a touchdown favorite, maybe less by then. And it's on the road in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a lo- that's a losable game for sure. Very losable game. That's that yeah. is correct. Uh, Mike, there's two coaches I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, my number 13 is Dino Babers, yeah. which we'll talk about in just a second who my number 14 is. Mm-hmm. Um, really, the the big thing with Babers, we've discussed on this show, like I, I struggle a little bit to separate what it, what are his shortcomings as a coach versus just being in a terrible situation. And, and I think a couple of the things that made him a really attractive coach a few years ago, you know, in terms of an offensive mind and the system that he wanted to run, I, I think the shine has come off of some of those things just across yep. the game in general. Um, yep. As the, the Bryles-Baylor offense is no longer this, like, novelty thing that nobody's figured out. Like, people figured right. it out. And, and That's what happens. Yeah, and, and we thought this was going to be a really great fit as a thing that – if you just get a couple guys that have, you know, one or two particular skill sets, you know, it could be really great, but it just, I mean, it's really not materializing that much. And I, I mean, again, 
one great year, Eric Dungey and and this, that, and the other thing, and, that, and it was great, but I I don't know. I, I, I don't – again, the trajectory here is largely just sort of a flat line kind of situation rather than like a downward thing. And that's that's really the main redeeming thing I'm looking at here is drop them into another job. Like, would would they all of a sudden be two and ten? No, but would they jump up? You know, to eight, nine, ten wins a year? Probably not either. That you know, so yeah, um, I, I would lean. They would probably probably trend downwards more so than than upwards. But I don't know. That, I guess that's where I'm at with Tina Babers. I've all I've often said on this podcast: Is it the job or is it Dino Babers? Mm-hmm. Why not both? Four K less dust. That's that's uh, C. Yeah, C C C less dust. I I Caramba. <laughs> uh, why not have it be both? It's both at this point, and it, I, it's a terrible job. And I don't want to say Babers is a terrible coach, but he's not who I thought he was. So I don't know. He's last on. Last on my list, Joey. I don't know what you're doing at this point if you're Syracuse's AD. Like, you get rid of him, but who do you get? Uh, just hire Scott Schaefer again. <laughs> Time's a flat circle, Joey. Yeah, why not? Is Doug Marone still around? Jesus, God. <laughs> Chip has Dino at number 14. You've got Dino at number 14. You got Fuente. I now have Justin Fuente at number 14. Why yeah. do you have him below Dino? I and I swear to you, I am not trying to be hot take guy with this. I'm not trying yep. to rile you up or like, you'll have a good reason. No, the the whole reason again is trajectory. Like this yep. is this is the one guy that has j- jumped into a job that I feel like in so many ways has shown us like he has no idea what he's doing. Like the locker room yeah. story from two or three years ago of like he didn't <laughs> yeah, know pretty bad. that like nobody talked to each other the way that he hires assistants like, and there's just total nepotism. Like none of it comes from outside. And he's like, he's in Blacksburg, Virginia, trying to create recruiting pipelines in Texas. And just like, what on earth are like uh, in, and I realize it's easy. It's easy to forget that the final four years of, of Beamer were like Bad. seven, eight wins tops a year. The like, average. They averaged slightly over seven wins. Yeah, like it, it, it wasn't the golden age, and so his first, you know, Fuente's first year going ten and three, like that was a step up, and so that was good. And and from a trajectory standpoint, it's not like he was starting from this super advantageous point. But at the same time, Beamer showed you over the years, like there is a blueprint, there is you know areas to recruit and you know relationships to maintain, and this, that, and the other. And Fuente was like, eh, nah. Let's go to the Lone Star State and see if we can recruit there. And it's just like, dude, <laughs> what? So this is why I have him at 14 is that if, if I were to drop him into Pittsburgh or NC State or whatever, I have no faith at this point that Justin Fuente would be like, yeah, I know what the right thing to do is here. I think he'd like to have the last few years back on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I would say like, that. What a mess. What a mess. That, that, that's, that's my whole argument is yeah. – it's not that again. It's not that Virginia Tech has been objectively terrible for years. It's just that what he's doing and in, in the general trajectory they've been on is like, dude, what are you doing here? Yeah, he went from ACC championship appearance in year one, damn near beating Clemson, who won the title. Did he? Win that was coach of the year that year. He was ACC coach of the year in 2016. 
2017, they went nine and four. So he won 19 games his first two years. Mm-hmm. 2018 was the, oh, we got to beat Marshall in a rescheduled game to keep our bowl streak alive. And that was the offseason where you had the Sports Illustrated article written about all the locker room turmoil that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Ross Ballinger wrote it, and it was bad from tech standpoint. That was the beginning of the transfer portal. Tech lost a lot of guys there. And we know the story ever since. They went 8-5 and five two years ago. Should have beaten Kentucky in the Belk Bowl. Didn't. You know, Lynn Bowden ran all over him. It's all he could do. He couldn't throw the ball because he was a converted wide receiver. Kentucky was on, like, their 10th quarterback. And Virginia Tech still couldn't stop it. Bud Foster left, and it was probably for the best. Um, it's his staff now, and they are recruiting well this cycle. But is it too little too late? And I think the answer is probably yes, which leads into our next conversation, Joey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm trying. And the only other thing here I was trying to remember was it was it 17 or 19 when they won nine games or eight games that we were like, they have a lot of wins, but they're bad. 19. Okay, um, yeah. 19 and 19 was annoying. Uh, well, even last year was a bit annoying because they got off to a pretty good start and you and I were both like, okay, just kidding. Virginia tech's good. We were wrong. <laughs> and then Virginia tech last year lost to wake forest. They lost a shootout against North Carolina and we were like, okay, like they were competitive. Virginia tech didn't have anybody in the secondary because everybody was out with COVID. They had a walk on starting at safety and they were scoring with North Carolina. You and I were like, all right, they're going to be fine. And then Tech lost to Wake Forest. We were like, nope, same old Hokies. Mm, yeah, don't know about that. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, you know, I've got my concerns. And, and my, I, kind of what we've, we've alluded yeah. to a number of times during this conversation is that the follow-up that I think is kind of the putting this to bed as we start to work on previewing the season in general is of these 14 coaches that we've talked about, how many, if you had to guess – how many of these 14 jobs will come open next this coming off season? Is it how many let's, let's, let's do two questions here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's do how many could, and let's do how many will. Okay. Okay. So the top would be the, the first question is the maximum amount of jobs that you believe can come open. And then you and I will set a number that we believe will come open. Okay. All right. Fair. Okay. So let me do my recount here. One, two, four. Okay. I got mine. I think I think I'm good with mine. Okay. What's your maximum? How many could come open? <laughs> I'm gonna slightly bend the rules here. I'm gonna Fair. go maximum of six. Me too. Wanna name them? Well, the problem is that the six include two half jobs. Um there, there's a Slight odd chance that yes. two of them come available, but okay. Okay. So my six, um, and that's and that's what NC State, Boston College. No, no, no. You're gonna say, and no, I didn't mean Boston College. I meant Louisville. NC State, Louisville, or Miami, Louisville. Uh, I'm gonna go Miami, North Carolina. North Carolina. That's a fun one, dude. Do you know how old Mac Brown is? <laughs> how long is he gonna do this for? <laughs> Longer than three years, don't you think? I think forever there is like the the half off chance that he just retires. I don't know. Like I'm just I'm just saying. Like and then I think there's some odd chance that if something goes really south for Manny Diaz, 
um, <laughs> I, I think that maybe maybe could come open. But I'm I'm gonna put those. Those are low probability, which is why they're only like half come open jobs for me. Okay, one, two. Uh, the other five, like we'll call it coming open jobs. Um, and I say coming up, like could come open within a good sense of real, realistic, whatever. Uh, Louisville, <laughs> Louisville, yes. Scott Satterfield, that well could be poison. Yeah. Um, Pat Narduzzi. Yep. Pittsburgh. David Cutcliffe at Duke could retire and, or just be told he's retiring. Um, Dino Babers at Syracuse could be done there. And Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech could be done there. There are like seven jobs that could open. <laughs> if you really turn your head sideways and squint and and all that stuff, yeah. And you and if you believe every team in the ACC can go three and nine, which is literally impossible, then yeah, there are like seven <laughs> jobs that can come open. Yeah. Mac is a fair point, although I don't I don't buy it. But we'll just say Mac so I can get to seven. Okay. It's super off chance. Like I'm not I'm not predicting that at all. I think he's got at least two or three more years in him. Um let's say Mac retires, fine. That that's one that could happen. Doran goes two and ten. He's out. Oh yeah. Diaz Diaz wins like four games. He's probably out. Satterfield, you know. Let's say North Carolina opens Satterfield wants that job because it's in North Carolina. He goes there. How's that for fun? Um, Cutcliffe retires. Fuente gets fired. Narduzzi gets fired. Dino gets fired. That would be seven. Now, how many do I think will? I'm going to go four. That's, that was where I was thinking. Was I'm going to go four. four. I think four open. I think Duke opens. I think Pitt opens. I think Syracuse opens. I think Virginia Tech opens. Yeah. Right. Let's see. You said Duke, Syracuse... Pitt, Virginia Tech. Pitt and Virginia Tech, yeah. Those are the those four are I was four. looking at. Um, I mean, those are the four on the bottom bottom four of my rankings, right? Or Narduzzi, Cutcliffe, Babers, and Fuente. Um, yeah, and I, I don't really know how to – I guess we'd score it as, a, you know, two jobs coming open if somehow, some way, NC State got rid of Dave Doran and called up Scott Satterfield and brought him in. Hmm. Um, technically, that's the NC State job opening and the Louisville job opening. So that's <laughs> theoretically possible. And Mad I'm, Hatter. I'm going to mark this point in the episode for just in case it happens. We can say it. We predicted it. That's right. Um, but yeah, I think, I think four is about right. You know, it's, it's been interesting as we've done this. I, I really feel like for the time that we've been doing this podcast, like there really hasn't been that much coaching turmoil in the league, I mean, what Swinney has been there the whole time? Has Clawson been there the whole time? Yes, I think Mendenhall came in our first year. Yep, uh, Wente did too. I think Doran's been there the whole time. Doran has been. Uh, Narduzzi's been there the whole time. Cutcliffe's been there the whole time. Fuente's been there the whole time. So what is that like? Eight of the of the programs in the in the conference haven't turned over since we started doing this show yeah so what ones did syracuse uh sir did they Ooh, did they vapor's been there the whole time he might have been there the whole time yeah so the ones that we're sure of louisville georgia tech boston college miami north, north carolina. carolina florida state right six is that it 
Yeah, in, in that's it. Five, five off seasons of doing this podcast, I mean, six jobs have turned over. Is that right? Yeah, I think it is right because I'm looking at my list. Well, Dabo's Florida, been there the whole time. North Carolina opened. Florida State turned over twice. Florida State turned over twice. That's they they generally do turn it over at least twice. So that makes sense. Baber's first year at Syracuse was 2016. Yeah, so he's been there the whole time too. Interesting. Wow. So it's really just been Georgia Tech, Louisville, Boston College, Miami, Florida State twice, and North Carolina. Was Miami twice as well? No. Or, or was they they I, had Rick when we started this? Rick's first year there. Yeah. Rick was there right. four years, wasn't he? He was there sixteen to nineteen. That sounds right. Yeah. Yep. Or, I'm sorry, sixteen to eighteen. He was there three years. And Diaz has been there the last two. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. Wow. That's something I had not thought about that was that we, again, five full years, five full off seasons, we've covered what, six, maybe seven, I guess seven coaching changes in five years. Seven coaching changes with six teams. We're not, uh, the ACC is not as, as manic as the SEC is clearly. <laughs> there, there's no. like three coaches a year, three jobs every year coming open there. Um, Speaking of old SEC coaches, I can't wait till Les Miles coaches Syracuse. <laughs> oh man, there's a lot to talk about there. Um, I I read an article that looked really bad for Les Miles and Jeff Long in Kansas. Yeah, um, they will. I I said that joke tongue in cheek because I don't think either one of them will be in major college athletics ever again. But it's a normal sport, so never say never. I, I usually wouldn't make semi uh, off color oh, jokes like this. There we but go. There we go. I, uh, you know, we're we're an hour and twenty minutes in. I I was going to say something about I would not touch Les Miles with a ten foot pole, but I, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Syracuse might be a little desperate at this point. Who's to say? <laughs> and we might have lost Mike at this point. He Ooh, <laughs> might not be coming good. back from uh, from that one. <laughs> um, all to say, oh, Mike no. again. Read the article. Six schools, seven seven coach swaps have happened in the last five years. Somebody will be touching his ten foot pole. <laughs> oh, God, subtle, be subtle. Yeah. Uh, there might be it's four swaps. openings this this coming year. I, yeah, I, including mine here. Be <laughs> a fifth. And with that, we start season six of this podcast. Yeah, um, we do hot start. Okay, so uh, again. Got some difference in coach rankings from uh, Chip Patterson. We do. Um, let us know what you think. At BC Podcast ACC, at Mike McDaniel SOS, at FTRS Joey on Twitter. Um, we need to work on getting out of here, Mike, because we have the 2021 season to preview. We do. If, if you have long been a listener of this here podcast, you will know what comes next. But for those who are a little new and, and welcome to the show, uh, what we're going to do over the next uh, like six seven weeks however many it is uh until Hustling. yeah something like that until the season starts uh we're gonna check in with some friends uh we've got friends who cover each and every one of these programs within the acc we're gonna talk to them about you know kind of what's happened in the off season. what's the roster looking like what's the coaching situation looking like what's the schedule look like what's the wins and losses outlook look like uh, we're going to go over all of that with some folks over the next few weeks. We're going to have individual episodes for every single team. So keep it tuned here. There is a lot of content coming your way. I realize it's been a little sleepy, 
over the last few months. As it's been a busy summer. Yeah, busy summer. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, Mike's married now. Um, I am, for better I, or worse. I've got s- <laughs> for better, Mike. Um, we. I, Not what I, like, said. I've got other you know friends and family that are married. We've made trips. We've done all sorts of stuff. So, but we're back now. We are we are doing college football now. It is college football season, Mike. Are you ready? We did a really nice job, Joey, from February to April, and since May, it's been hard. Yeah, we've been busy. We did. We did. Whatever you do, don't go back and listen to the Bachelor Party show. That was. Uh, Please do. Actually, well, yeah, that was largely a mistake. And uh, but anyways, <laughs> it, it you know it's fine. Uh, Mike, anything else before we work on getting out of here? I think we're good. I'm looking forward to previewing the season. It feels I am too. Good. I can't believe I can't believe we're here already. But it's been a wild summer, so we've been busy, and we're now somehow already previewing the season that in my mind just ended i yeah. it's weird i this has been a short off season maybe it's because the season itself was very long and i mm-hmm. didn't know if we were going to get all the way through it because of covid but we did and now i'm sitting here it's literally we're recording on july the night of july 14th it's now july 15th eastern time and we are halfway through the month of july already i'm ready to go i mean it's football time that's right it's football season mike officially got acc media days coming up here like i think next week yeah we may need to uh interrupt our scheduled programming of guests and touch on some media day stuff at some point brief Uh, podcast yeah if there's if there's shenanigans at media days we will let you know about it we'll clip it that's right that's right Mike, we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back and preview all these teams, maybe talk media days. We've got lots of preview content coming your way. Uh, in the meantime, y'all can find us on Twitter. Once again, he is at Mike McDaniel SOS. I am at FTRS Joey. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. Come find us there. We're also on Instagram at BC Podcast ACC. Uh, content's been quiet there for a few months, but it's going to be uh, springing back up here in short order. Uh, Mike, they can find us on iTunes on Google Podcasts, on Spotify, anywhere you can find podcasts, you can go find us there. Uh, appreciate those who have. Share us with your friends. Uh, we, we'd love to have new listeners. Uh, they can send us an email with questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man. It is basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nail it. If you want to sponsor us, hit us up there too. Thank you. Yeah, we're looking for sponsors. Uh, you got to, like, it's it's NIL time now, Mike. If it's if you got a car dealership or something like that that you're looking to uh, get us to sponsor you on, we're allowed to do that now. Or so, just a car. That'd be good. Yeah, if you want to give me a car to drive around, I'll sponsor your dealership for sure. Yeah. Uh, Mike, you want to somewhere else that can find us on social medias? <laughs> Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Yeah, the DMs are open there in case you have, like, a Mercedes or something you want me to drive for you. Um, I, That's I can right. do that. Or Bugatti. <laughs> if i must if i must yes uh mike anything else before we get out of here i think we're good man you want to come back and start previewing some teams we have to we have no choice it's season six it's season six here we go uh well mike this has been fun we're going to come back start those previews and we will talk then all right bye. all right well until then for mr mike mcdaniel i am joey weaver thank you guys so much for listening we will talk to you again soon and until then go ACC. Yeah!